Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us looking to grow and thrive in faith and spirituality beyond the walls and fences of institutional Christianity. Just a quick announcement before we get started, just in case you've missed it, we are going to be recording an episode of the podcast live at the Wild Goose Festival this coming July 13th through 16th in Union Grove, North Carolina, and we're offering you a $50 off an adult ticket weekend discount. Did I say that right? $50 off an adult weekend ticket. That's what I'm trying to say just for listening to our podcast. The Wild Goose Festival is a transformational community grounded in faith-inspired social justice. It is a one-of-a-kind gathering that brings together activists and artists and spiritual seekers from all walks of life to explore justice and art and spirituality and community. From engaging workshops to inspiring panels and interactive experiences of all kinds, Wild Goose has something for just about everyone. The festival will take place at Van Hoy Farms in Union Grove, North Carolina, and I would love for you to join me there. The idea for Accidental Tomatoes was born at Wild Goose, and it's become a place where many of us have found a community that inspires, encourages, and supports us in the quest for justice and liberation in the world. So mark your calendars for July 13th through 16th in Union Grove, North Carolina, and let's be part of this incredible community together that's committed to making a positive impact in the world. For more information and for tickets, visit wildgoosefestival.org. And if you want to claim that $50 discount off an adult weekend ticket to the festival, use the discount code TOMATOES, that's T-O-M, A-T-O-E-S, tomatoes. Use that code at checkout to get your $50 discount, and I really, really hope to see you there. So let's get on with the episode. A a few episodes back, I did a, a, a little bit of a solo episode called Deconstructing Evangelism, and I want to go a little bit deeper into that, but before we get into that, or in order to get into that, I should say, um, I, I need to tell you a little bit of a story, uh, just just for a little bit of context and background. I I hate it when people ask me what I do for a living, and it's not that I don't love what I do for a living, but it's complicated, right? Because my work is not traditional, and when it comes to a vocation in ministry, especially, people have certain expectations and ideas of what that means. So when somebody asks me what I do, and I tell them well, I'm a Methodist minister, that evokes, you know, just certain images that really don't fit with the actual work that I do. I recently got this question from somebody who comes from a very different space than I do on the the theological and political spectrum. And so I tried to explain, without getting too much into the weeds, that a big part of my work is helping people and helping churches break down some of the paradigms that we've inherited so that we can actually be more vital parts of helping our neighborhoods and our communities. And the guy that asked me about it said he just, you know, kind of gave me as, I guess, kind of a stock answer for folks um, that kind of come from that, that place in the theological and political spectrum. He said, he said, oh, that's so important. That work is so important. He said, you know, Christianity is under attack in this country. 
and we need to stand up for it. So I thought about his response for a minute. And then I said, you know, I think you're right. And I think it's sad that such a big part of that is coming from the inside. Now, that pretty much ended that particular conversation. But it got me to thinking about where those of us who identify with a more progressive flavor of Christianity stand in the world, and especially in the United States in this day and age. And I have to be honest, like, it feels like something is happening or or that something is about to happen. Over the past several years, I've frequently spoken and written about this theory that was put forth by the late Phyllis Tickle in her landmark book, The Great Emergence. Uh, and, and it wasn't her theory necessarily, but she just found this really good way of articulating this idea that about every 500 years or so, Christianity undergoes this massive, what she calls a rummage sale, right? Where there's this marked shift that takes place both in the theology and the ecclesiology of the church, right? So about every 500 years, there's this sort of massive change. And you can track this historically. And, and kind of when you look at, at things where we are now, we are just a little over five centuries removed from the latest one of these major shifts, which was the Protestant Reformation, which we mark by Martin Luther's nailing of his 95 theses, his 95 complaints <laughs> about the Roman Catholic Church that he nailed to the door of Wittenberg Chapel in Germany on October 31st, 1517. Now, of course, the Reformation did not simply begin and end on that fateful All Hallows' Eve. Luther's act of resistance was really just kind of a climactic touchstone of a movement that had begun stirring many years before. And it would be decades after that before a real wave of Reformed Protestant churches would begin to overtake Western Europe and move across the globe. So it really should come as no surprise then that Christianity, at least in America, is standing on these rapidly shifting sands, right? I, I think many of us have been feeling these changes evolving for at least a couple of decades. And, and some people um, have seen it coming for, for much, much longer. Now, I mentioned all of this because I've been noticing lately, and maybe it's just because of my own proximity to it, but I've been noticing lately that the progressive movement within Western Christianity, anyhow, really seems to be starting to gain some serious steam. Now, again, my my view of this might be a little warped because again, I'm this is what this is my own kind of where I find myself situated, I guess. Uh, and so it's easy to kind of overblow what you're close to. But but as somebody who watches trends, you know, kind of big picture trends. I'm beginning to see this the progressive Christian movement really beginning to gain some momentum. You know, and as the theological and moral bankruptcy of much of the modern evangelical fundamentalist movements really becomes more and more exposed, I'm starting to see lots and lots of people beginning to awaken to to the many abuses and trauma that evangelicalism has inflicted both on individuals and whole communities of people. Not to mention its unholy alliance with political conservatism that's led to a resurgent in white Christian nationalism, or a resurgence, I should say, in white Christian nationalism. Now, for those who pay attention to history, 
we probably shouldn't be surprised. And I love Phyllis Tickle's imagery of a rummage sale, right? It's not getting rid of everything and starting all over. But when you have a rummage sale, you kind of haul everything out of your house, right? And you, you kind of decide what's worth keeping and what you need to get rid of. And I really, really like that metaphor for how these shifts, these 500-year kind of cycles tend to take place. And so, you know, again, we probably shouldn't be surprised that this is happening. Luther and the Reformers, which, by the way, wouldn't that be a great name for a band? Sorry. <laughs> but, but, but these guys, you know, Luther and, and, and his fellow Reformers, they had just become weary of the ways that the Roman Catholic Church of the time had essentially folded into an arm of the state, wielding its power to control the masses through oppressive at the very least and often violent at worst theology and practices. And so here where we are now, half a millennium later, you don't have to look very hard to see many of the same kinds of dynamics at work in the modern conservative evangelical movement. White evangelical, especially movements, desire, their desire for power, their desire for control, their desire for dominance, honestly, in my opinion, anyhow, has virtually erased Jesus of Nazareth and his way of empathy, compassion, and nonviolence from their churches altogether. And one might reason, if that is all true, one might reason that there would be an opportunity you know, in this moment that might be ripe for, you know, mainline churches who tend to be more liberal, both theologically and politically, um, to make a resurgence. And I'm talking about denominations like, you know, the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians and the Methodists and the, the um, you know, um, United Church of Christ, some of those denominations that we kind of tend to, to lump under this mainline category. You would think this this would be a great moment, but what we're starting to see, though, the, the problem, anyhow, that I'm recognizing in that is that these mainline denominations, and, and I'm a part of one of these, but it seems that they've become so heavily institutionalized that it's really, really difficult for them to extract themselves from their counterparts in the evangelical movement. Institutions, by their very nature, will always prioritize institutional survival even above the people that they claim to be serving. Now, of course, this all raises some really difficult questions, right? If the institutional church as we know it fades into irrelevance, and if the, the evangelical and fundamentalist movement is beginning to fade into irrelevance, what will fill the void? Now, the short answer is nobody knows, but we can be assured just from observing history that where there is a void, something will always move in to fill it. So one of the places where I've been focusing a lot of my own work lately, and one movement that I think is starting to gather some momentum lately, is this movement that's kind of known broadly as Fresh Expressions. The, the Fresh Expressions movement began among Anglicans in the United Kingdom during the 1990s, and it has, it seems anyhow, to have really especially captured the imagination of United Methodists and, and some other mainline movements as it has migrated to the U.S. over the past decade or so. So fresh expressions is kind of a hard term to nail down. It can mean a lot of things to different people. But in a nutshell, fresh expressions are highly contextualized 
I guess, micro communities might be a good way to describe them um, that are most often launched and led by lay people and not by clergy people. And that are at least somehow loosely connected to a larger, what we would call a legacy church, an existing congregation. Now, the problem is, and, and again, I say this as someone who is actively working to help churches launch new, fresh expression types of ministries and communities. But, but the problem is that that the folks from our legacy churches, and, and I don't mean to, to say this uncharitably, but but so often they just can't get out of their own way, right? They, they've been taught for so long this sort of recruitment method of evangelism that they very literally don't know how to engage with um, people on the, the quote-unquote outside of church, right, without having some kind of an agenda to try to bring them in. They, they just don't have any frame of reference for that. Now, in my mind, there are a couple of issues um, or there are a couple of things that are at issue here in this. First of all, most mainline churches have set a pretty high bar for ordained clergy education and denominational vetting, right? To, to make sure um, that the folks that we um, put into positions of ordained ministry um are people who are highly qualified for it, right? And in and of itself, I think that's a good thing, right? At least in so much as it tends to encourage a more um, intellectually and academically rigorous approach to leadership than many evangelical denominations where, frankly, almost anyone who thinks they've been, you know, called, quote unquote, can be ordained with or without any real actual qualifications. But the downside of that is that a legitimate accredited theological education is expensive and it's time consuming. And that means that many people who pursue, you know, ordination as, as a vocational choice, uh, as a vocational choice, I mean, many people who pursue that have to lean really heavily on denominational support and assistance in order to complete whatever educational requirements are in place. And that means that ordained clergy in many mainline churches are dependent on their denominations for salary and benefits and retirement and, and things like that. And so for many people, the idea of paradigms shifting away from a very hierarchical mode of leadership could mean the end of de the denominational support on which they rely to make a living. So that's one thing. The second issue, I think, is that for most folks who consider themselves church people, so-called church people, the only other people they really know are other church people. Their, their people, their tribe, if you will, is made up of folks, mostly anyhow, who largely already share their theological views and ideas. But you see, when, when all of your people are church people, it becomes really difficult to understand people who are not church people. And because all of our evangelistic training has, has all been based on the assumption of Christian supremacy, it's nearly impossible for, for folks from inside of those systems to cultivate authentic relationships with non-church folks without resorting to 
to, I, frankly, recruitment and, and colonization of those people. Now, I'm not sure how any of this is going to play out in the long run, but there, there are some trends. Again, I like to be a kind of a trend watcher, and there are a couple of trends that I think maybe are going to be worth paying attention to in, in the next decade or so, maybe. The, the first trend is, is this idea that as progressive Christianity captures more space in the public square, and as people learn that we're not all misogynistic, homophobic control freaks, more people who don't identify as Christians will be open anyhow to hearing about the actual loving, empathetic, inclusive, and compassionate way of this guy Jesus from Nazareth, right? Not as a way to get to heaven when they die, which we've just been fed as being the, the, the only point of the whole exercise, but rather as a better way to navigate life on planet Earth, right? With a bunch of other hopelessly mixed up and messed up human beings. So that's one trend. The other trend that, I, that I'm seeing is this sort of decentralization of the institutional church. And I think that's one of the things that this Fresh Expressions movement represents is this movement away from a centralized common location with services on a predictable weekly schedule, you know, that kind of thing. I, I think our, our denominational structures are already rapidly crumbling under their own weight. Right. And, and while many people are really desperately trying to hold them together with honestly duct tape and super glue or what, what's the old saying, spit and spit and glue or whatever, often literally as well as figuratively, by the way. But, but I think as that's happened, it's become obvious that those structures at the very least need to seriously reform and they need to seriously slim down. Now, I'll be the first to admit. That, that I don't believe hardly anything about Christianity, honestly, that I believed when I first came into it, you know, 20-some years ago. My views of who and what God is, of who and what Jesus is, of what the Bible is and is not, right? All of those things um, have really evolved for me significantly over the past couple of decades. So... You know, for where I am now, I've kind of come to this point where while I take the Bible seriously, I take almost nothing in it literally, and I take even less of it historically. I do not envision God as some invisible sky daddy that's just, you know, meeting out favors and punishment. I don't think Jesus's purpose had anything to do with what happens to people after they die, or at least it wasn't primarily about what happens to people after they die. And while I've come to accept those things as adequate metaphorical language for the ways that we filter reality, any so-called evangelizing that you'll find me doing will have nothing to do with recruiting people to Team Jesus and everything to do with awakening people to the possibilities for humanity if we could just learn to center justice and liberation as our highest values, rather than our own individual salvation. And I think I'm discovering that I'm far from alone. I think there's a lot of us, and I think there's a lot of you all, who are feeling these same things 
and who are looking and itching for some new expression of the way that we try to follow the way of Jesus in the world. Well, thanks for joining me. This is, I know this has been a really short episode. Um, and I just, but after, after the last deconstructing evangelism episode, there was just a little bit more that, um, that I kind of wanted to just kind of get out, um, into the world for, for conversation, if nothing else. So thanks. Um, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening and, and giving me the chance to get some of these things off my chest. If, if, if nothing else has happened here, if you want to continue the conversation, our social media channels are a great resource. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, so if you haven't already liked and followed our pages there, just, you know, go do a search for accidental tomatoes. You'll find us and, and, you know, give us a like and a follow and jump in with your comments, or you can always give us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. If you enjoy this podcast, I would love for you to leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you listen on that helps other people find us. Um, and it helps us to continue to grow our community. Again, don't forget to check us out at Wild Goose Festival in July. And remember, you can get $50 off an adult weekend ticket just by using the code TOMATOES when you purchase your tickets at wildgoosefestival.org. And so, my friends, until next time, keep on growing outside the fences. And join us for another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes Podcast.